Welcome to Radar Contact, the air traffic management podcast by Fox ATM. Welcome to one more episode of Radar Contacts, the ATM podcast by Fox ATM. Today, my guest is Neil Bowles, who is Executive Vice President, uh, Business Development and ATM at Seawitch Technologies. Neil, welcome to the podcast. Can you please start by briefly introducing yourself, please? Oh, Vincent. Well, thank you very much, first of all, for the invitation uh, to join you and, and to speak with you. Um, yeah, my, so I'm Neil Bowles. Um, as you say, I'm with Seawitch Technologies. Um, I've been I've been working in the ATM industry for over 20 years. So I began my career um, in operational ATC with Nats in the UK, uh, and as part of that role, I started working on ATC projects, ATM projects, uh, and that then took me to Dubai, where I joined the ANSP uh, in Dubai, um, who was facing you know some some really big challenges of of massive traffic growth, you know, on how to how to handle that as, as the, the the Emirate of Dubai grew. Um, and when I was there, I, uh, I was working on, you know, things like remote tower, uh, other sort of concepts of operation. And that's where I met Sea Ridge Technologies and um, began working with them, really enjoyed working with them and ended up joining them in 2016. So initially as head of ATM uh, and, uh, and now I'm responsible for our uh, global sales business development and marketing. Nice, really nice career path so far. It's always good to see people with both technical and, and operational backgrounds, I think. It's making a lot of bridges in, in that industry. Um, you dropped the wall already. One of the topics for today will be remote and digital towers. And maybe we can start with that and the use case for, for larger airports sometimes. And it's not always clear in the industry what the difference is between remote and digital. We've seen a lot of remote tower projects, thinking of the, the Swedish mountain. That was the first one built without a tower, where the tower is really far away. But large airport can benefit from, from digitalization as well. And in that case, the tower will not be remote, but it will be digital for sure. You've, you've really hit upon, you know, the, the difference a little bit yourself there. So, so remote tower, that's what I first understood about this technology. Uh, and then seeing, you know, the, the, uh, the clustering of, of small, low volume, low traffic density airports, you know, together for efficiency, uh, in a, in a remote tower center. So that, that follows. A quite traditional ATM model of of clustering, perhaps approach units in a terminal control area, uh, and even on uh, on route units as well. So so that makes a lot of sense, uh, you know, in terms of uh, how ATM evolves. Um, we we tend to differentiate between remote tower and, and what we call digital tower, and it has various other names. You know, you'll see it known as smart tower, virtual tower. Um, the main difference in a digital tower, of course, doesn't have to be remote. It doesn't have to be away from the location, uh, although it can be. Uh, initially, digital tower is, is 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 an environment also that has a more, a more usually a more rich data environment available. So, with medium and large airports, you've got more ATM data, you've got more airside optimization, um, you've got more ACDM type processes in place, and therefore uh, those environments themselves lend to uh, a greater digitalization. Um, so, so examples of a functionality you'll find in a digital tower that you might not find in a remote tower is uh, integration of surface uh, surveillance capability to provide data labels that move with aircraft. Um, you may also see integration with other ATM planning tools um, that indicate that that airport's a larger airport and maybe has some capacity constraints or, or certain constraints that require a level of a higher level of planning than for some of those smaller, low-volume remote towers. I, I remember seeing uh, years ago, you mentioned Dubai already, a demonstration where you had also 
augmented reality. So we were in Dubai airport in front of a, of a screen wall where we could see the tags of the aircraft on the, on the outside view itself. I guess this is also something that is totally part of digitalization, even if it's, what is it now, seven years back, I guess. That's correct. Um, and that's really where I, I started, you know, my initial involvement with Searage was, was seeing the, the capability to integrate this data because I'd never seen that before in remote tower because most of the, the airfields where remote tower was initially developed, you know, maybe didn't have a surface surveillance capa- you know, capability. So to see the, the possibilities of, enhan- of enhancing the view, the out the window view as it's digitized by, by bringing some of the operational data that controllers maybe already have. So perhaps they already have electronic flight strips, which has that data, um, but that requires controller to look down. Whereas when you can augment the visual overlay, you know, with with operational information such as met data, um, you know, the the ASMDCS feed, things like that, you kind of open up a, a whole new series of possibilities to you know to support a larger digital airport operation. You just said something that is very key here because it's not only about digitalization for the air traffic controller, but from the moment you are digital, you also have a way to share data and to, to open it to, as you just said, the airport community. So it's not only ATC. And I know you have projects in Hong Kong, which involves many other actors than only ATC. So I don't know if you can elaborate on that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So, so we have a, not a unique situation in ATM, but, but certainly not an incredibly common one where, where we're developing uh, a platform for two separate customers in Hong Kong. One is the uh, civil aviation department and one is the airport authority. So we're, we're, we're developing a capability through, through a, a platform which actually enables two systems, one for digital tower uh, control in Hong Kong and then one for digital apron control uh, and airport optimization and sharing of that data with uh, places like an airport operations center and to support CDM. So, so really, there's a convergence of data here. Um, the data is is being there's a digitalization, if you like, and that data then can be shared in a cybersecure way with different operators uh, who can make use of that data in slightly different ways. So it's a harmonization of data sharing, really. You know, so um, you could have uh, let me see stakeholders who wish to understand. Airport optimization, um, the turnaround process, all of those activities that are happening on a gate or, or you know, close to a gate uh, and trying to understand all of those constraints. Meanwhile, ATC may be more, you know, uh, resp- interested, I guess, in, in, in getting the traffic from those areas out to the runways, back to the runways. But then during that turnaround process uh, and all of the activities there, uh, the, the airport authority is more interested. So, so really, there's a lot of shared data available. So our project there is to really to, to harmonize that data and share it between the stakeholders so that each of them can carry out their operational responsibilities. You just say again something that is very key and digitalization and data sharing enable a lot, a lot of, of new possibilities. But what we have seen on, on many projects is that people are hard to convince sometimes to share their data because they think they are the owner of some data. They can kind of protect themselves or are not willing to share for the benefit of the greater community. And I was wondering if showing use cases now that you have systems in operation at many places can be a good way to, to leverage the power of data and convince these people to, to play along. Traditionally, you know, through my career, I've, I've, I've seen what you mean. Uh, you know, everybody, um, has their objectives and everybody, you know, working at an airport or an NSP, uh, is, you know, is looking to provide optimal, uh, operational situations. Um, but, you know, data can be something that, that can sometimes become a little bit siloed. I think if you, if you create the environment where, 
um, where a platform, all of the data is coming to a platform anyway, and you don't have to rely on anybody to actively share that data. That's that's a big uh, big benefit to start with. So so in in creating that platform, that platform environment, um, you know, and and right at the start of the of the program, uh, you know, th- this this is uh, this is something as well. Remember that is as much a pull from a customer as us providing a solution. So we're providing a solution. You know, so people are maturing. Our airports, ANSPs are 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 starting to to work here, probably in a little more harmonized way, just because there is so much data out there. So, so really, I think if you create um, the environment and you have the, the real high level buy-in, you know, really, really high level buy-in uh, at the top of these organizations uh, to go this way, uh, and you create then an environment where people don't actively have to share data, it's it's shared on their behalf, but it's done in a very cyber secure user eligibility way, so that uh, sages any you know, a lot of the concerns of, of sharing of that data. Yeah, I like the concept of maturing here. I remember seeing the first prototypes of remote towers in the, the World ATM Congress and other exhibitions a long, long time ago. And now remote tower seems to be, let's say, the new normal for, for a lot of airports. And, and I guess one of the factors that was also hard to overcome is to bring controllers down the tower because of the symbolic part of it. You know, you are, you are the boss of your airport. You are literally sitting on, on a big pedestal. And I guess for some controllers, it was hard to come down in a, in a normal room with a lot of screens. I don't know if you want to comment on that or if you prefer to skip. I'm happy to comment about that. It's, it's you know, ch- change is not always easy for, for humans. You know, I remember early in, in my career uh, in, in ATC, you know, seeing the impact of the very first electronic flight strips, for example, in, in UK airports. And they were rolled out across five five London airports. And there was a level of skepticism about that. But, you know, I remember then talking to a few uh, of my colleagues who worked in, you know, some of the busiest London airports and they're very, very happy with the system and wouldn't want to go back after a period of time. So there's for sure humans have a level of adaptation. Uh, I think seeing is believing, you know, so if I think somewhere like Heathrow where we've created a digital tower, um, lab system with NATS, um, you know, one of the lessons learned from, from doing that at other airports was let's put this as close to the operational people as possible. So therefore that's actually in a room in the control tower building at Heathrow. Um, because if you can put it in a place that's readily accessible for operational staff, they'll come, they'll interact with it, they'll carry out, you know, exercises um, and on projects with you, and you very quickly get their feedback. And, and some of the feedback that we got really, really quickly there was that, that they were really impressed with, with you know, a lot of those aspects. And and <clears throat> then therefore they can start to understand, you know, I, I could I could provide an air traffic control service from this facility. So seeing is believing in it in a lot of ways. That's very interesting again, and it remembers me of an episode we had with someone from from DSNA in Charles de Gaulle, where some controllers are developing analysis tools themselves, and it seems that proximity between techniques and operation is is definitely the key in in many new developments. And I guess you're working together with Nats is, is certainly helpful here. Um, now I'd like to move away from from big airports and look a bit uh, closer to smaller airports. And they used to be the first use cases for remote towers because what you mentioned in the beginning, low traffic airport, remote area, it makes sense to bring it in a remote tower center. And now we are seeing more and more multiple remote tower implementation or remote tower centers. And this comes with a lot of specific requirements, especially in terms of human factors and system integration. And I wanted to ask you what your experience is at Seawitch with that and what you can bring specifically to that uh, segment of the market. Okay, so uh, you know, absolutely, Searidge. We we have developed the technology to uh, to enable remote tower operations, both single and multiple control. 
Um, our, our experience first began really with, um, in Caesar with, uh, supporting ENAV in the Raccoon project. Raccoon was a remote airport concept of operation that explored both single and multiple remote tower control of, uh, of two low traffic density airports. Um, I think the, the biggest challenge really for, for multiple control, uh, and you kind of hinted upon it in your question is not necessarily the technical change required. Uh, I think it's, it's really a human change management, um, you know, issue and process that needs to, that needs to happen. So the, the idea of, of controlling perhaps <clears throat> multiple areas of responsibility in ATC, again, that's not new. So, uh, on route controllers, TMA controllers, uh, even approach controllers might, might provide a service to more than one volume of airspace at one time uh, in quieter times when it's not so busy. Uh, and it could even be that, you know, a, a controller can provide an approach service and a tower service from one position. So the concept is not new, but really where it's, it's different, I think, in tower is that it's, it's really to do with a visual situational awareness and a scan around larger areas. So the, the technical challenge is to bring that situational awareness into uh, remote tower modules where you're, you know, where you might have multiple views. But it's it's entirely feasible. It's underway, and it's it's you know it's close to becoming operational reality. Um, the the human side of, of of things is 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 one where we've we've done a lot of work with with customers uh, and partners over the years as they bring the technology into operation. You know, so we supported um, ANSPs as they're going through safety case development, validation, um, passive and active shadow modes, and these are all very established ways of, of proving the operational viability of something. Uh, and along the way, human factors experts are are observing a lot of these things. You know, with certain partners such as as Nats, for example, Nats have a very rich history of, of operationalizing new technology. Uh, so you know, so they're able to help us with some of the ongoing projects that we have. So we have one particular, you know, that's that's happening in the Middle East at the moment at a uh, at an airport implementation. And you know, really, there's there's a technical challenge and then there's the human factors change challenge i guess you learned a lot uh, along the process of industrializing uh, remote towers and digital towers and as you mentioned you have several projects done now and another aspect i'd like to to explore with you is uh, to get a non-european view on that because there are a few implementation in europe and, and Sirig is one of the companies who has also implementation outside of europe and I wanted to ask you if uh, a remote or digital tower project in Asia Pacific or in the US, for example, is, is different or if there are human aspects, cultural aspects or, or if it's just the same out of the box and it's, you know, rolling out the technology and, and this is it. Yeah, we're, we're very, very fortunate to have, um, airport customers and partners all over the world. And it's made for a really, really interesting experience over the last number of years to, to, you know, because it's probably, Organizations such as ours that actually get to see the whole, the global picture of, of a lot of this implementation. You know, so as, as you alluded to, we've got, uh, systems in, in North America, Europe, Middle East and the Far East. And there are differences in some ways, you know, culturally between all of those regions of the world. Um, I think the Middle East and the Far East are, are very, very open to, to change, to innovation and to really harnessing digitalization in ATM to enable growth. You know, so a lot of, a lot of the airports in, in those areas, and I talk to the major airports, um, have seen, you know, large, you know, prior to the pandemic. So, you know, dig, double digit growth met quite often from year to year. Uh, and, and when you know that, that those airports are so key to your economy, 
you know, you look to be innovative, um, to, you know, to not constrain capacity and to really allow those airports to be enablers for growth in, in those, in those cities. So I would say there's, you know, in the Middle East and the Far East, if you like, there's, there's kind of an Eastern aspect that's very much into innovation and the harnessing digitalization. But that's not to say that the West isn't either, because you can see in Europe that, that, um, that Caesar, you know, for example, has really, um, enabled, uh, innovation. Uh, you know, to be, to be researched and developed. And it's now obviously becoming operationalized. It's probably, probably been a little bit slower than everybody was hoped and expected, you know, but, but it's still happening. Um, so I would say, you know, there's probably a little bit of an east-west split. So, so North America as well. Um, remote tower is, is quite a new concept in North America. There, there's only a couple of sites. And of course, we're one of them. Uh, and we're all working with the FAA and, and the airport stakeholders to get those into operation. And I, I think one thing that's that's probably clear wherever you go in the globe is that the first time you do it, um, you know, there's a very rigorous process to go through. You know, there's all of the certification, uh, regulatory support, uh, and all of the hazard identification and analysis and, and, and safety casework that goes into to getting the first of type in all those places. Um, but I think I think largely, you know, the key is like if, if you work with trust, integrity, integrity, uh, trust and respect, you know, those are those are pretty key everywhere. Uh, and those are the sort of environments that we find ourselves in globally. You were certainly the first in in many cases and in many countries. And now looking back at that with with a few years um, time, what would be your message to your younger self? If you had a chance to, to talk to you again at the start of your very first remote tower project, what would you say? Hey, Neil, be careful. Do this differently. That is important. That is not so important. And what would you do differently with, with all your experience now? I think first of all, I'd go and buy some Bitcoin. <laughs> Good one. Um, but then look, looking at, at the start of, of my career, uh, and lessons learned through to now, it, it, there's been a steady progression of maturity. Both, you know, from, from the companies that are, are providing remote and digital tower systems and also, um, for, for the, the users of them. So I'm, I'm struggling a little bit to, to find any kind of real lessons learned. I think the answer is interesting because for me, it also shows that the safety and the approval process is probably strong and, and applied seriously enough that there is no big lessons learned in the end. And it's probably a sign that, uh, things to be learned have been learned along the way. And I can imagine because the process is slow. I mean, that's, that's ATC, that's aviation. That's not the, the fastest business ever. I imagine it's, there were no big surprise because things were caught along the way. I don't know if you would agree on that. Yeah. The, the safety uh, and the, the regulatory acceptance is, is absolutely key. You know, we're, we're looking to operationalize technology. Um, that's, that's happened all through, you know, through the, the last sort of 40, 50 years of ATM technology. So, so in that aspect, it hasn't changed. For sure, the process is is going faster. The the first initial ones took the longest time. You know, everybody now it's not such an alien concept. It's it's becoming you know a much more mature technology, uh, and we can see it maturing because uh, in the in the early days it was remote towers. It was let's use this to you know to make uh, remote operation you know low volume operations more efficient. Now you've got um, hybrid use cases where People will want to continue to operate in their their existing control tower, but want to digitalize some aspects and bring digital tower technology into that. Whether it be to um, to support any you know augmenting blind spots, uh, you know bringing um, 
bringing planning tools into that environment, um, you know, even harnessing some of the new technology to see if they can, you know, make their operation more efficient. Um, you're looking at contingency now, which, you know, wasn't really around 10 years ago. Um, we see, you know, even I think what's really becoming, you know, more prevalent as well is airports are now starting to look at, you know, when I need to replace a control tower, you know, what do I do then? Do I, do I just go out and, and build another steel and concrete structure or am I looking at a digital tower? And you're starting to see some, some big airports really looking at that idea. Yeah, that's a trend we've seen indeed, and, and I know there will be some ones um, coming in the, in the next years. So thank you very much for, for sharing all that. Uh, to wrap up, I'd like to finish with our our usual signature question. And I know for Seawit, which is a company which is really in the future already, it's it will be an interesting one. But what is your vision for ATM in five years, but also in 50 years from now? So I've given this question a, a little bit of thought, uh, you know, knowing that it's, it's your signature question and, and, uh, that everybody gets, gets uh, the chance to answer it. Uh, I think in the next five years, we, we will start, we will see increasing automation. I think we'll start to see more, um, development of AI, uh, supporting ATCO tasks, you know, so kind of an AI planner type, uh, support capability, you know, not making executive decisions, but, But coming into operations to to start to maybe you know take on some of the more mundane tasks and and support decision making with the human obviously still firmly you know in control of that. Uh, I think we'll see some really large, high intensity runway, multiple runway airports um, operationalize, implement digital tower technology, uh, and as I kind of hinted upon now, I think we'll see a move towards. The ending of building traditional legacy constructed towers and, uh, and a lot of airports, you know, we, we will maybe not in the next five years, but certainly in the next five to 10 years, I think it will become the norm to build a digital facility. Airports may choose not to for all of the different reasons that airports want to have a control tower. Uh, you know, sometimes it can be, you know, a, a symbol of, of, of an iconic structure, but. I think the move in the next five years or so, we'll start to see a lot more airports want to go digital, whether they be new greenfield airports uh, coming online or uh, airports that the tower is reaching end of life. Now, so I, I started to think, well, 50 years back to the early 1970s, you know, if I think 50 years ago to now, how much the, the ATC system has changed. And I, I say ATC because ATM probably wasn't even a word in the 1970s. You know, so that's how fundamental and, and how much can happen in 50 years. So I think it's pretty impossible to, to predict how aviation will look. Um, I think in 2072, certainly ATM won't be a thing. We won't be managing traffic or, you know, in, in that sort of way. Uh, the, the, you know, there'll be a lot of free flight. Um, I, I'd say it'll be largely free flight. I think there will be, uh, you know, a level of monitoring. Uh, and supervision, but there'll be so much self-separation that the idea of, of manned air traffic management, you know, won't necessarily be a thing. Uh, I think urban air mobility and unmanned traffic management, again, will, will just be a normal part of aviation. Um, I don't really know what, what airliner traffic will look like. I, you know, I'm hoping that we'd be back to you know, plenty, plenty of supersonic travel again, because we took a massive step back when, when Concorde was retired. Um, but, you know, you'll see personal travel. I think it will have migrated into the skies a lot in 50 years time. And, and there'll be a very, very sophisticated, um, self-separating airspace, space, you know, I call it airspace into space travel, 
uh, and, and of course surface and it will be pretty seamless. Our return of supersonic would be really sweet. I, I hope we can, we can enjoy that in, in earlier than 50 years. Um, Neil, thank you very much for being our guest today. Uh, it was really interesting to look at the, what, what is the future already for so many airports. And when I hear you talking about, uh, digital towers and, and all that new technology, I have to think of some towers that still operate on paper strips. And I'm really glad that there are companies like Seawidge around to, to push these technologies forward. So thank you very much and talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Vincent. Thank you for your time today. This was Radar Contact. Visit foxatm.com or your favorite podcast platform for more.